Innovating is a tough game. Like many other things, it's often spoken about in hindsight. The decisions were made after a series of explicitly crafted moments. However, rarely in business when real change hits are people ready for it. Everyday industries are disrupted, ways of working appended, and paradigms shifted. Very rarely does your five-year plan account for a pandemic, or a startup taking your industry by force. So how do you stay ahead? How do you create the best chance possible for yourself in a world that changes every day? It's all about maintaining momentum. Innovating isn't about staying in your lane, it's about making changes over time to stay relevant or even become the change you want to see in your industry. Original ideas very rarely come from looking in the same places you always looked. So in this show, we will be turning the spotlight in a different direction that you wouldn't necessarily think to look at. Each season, we'll be looking to top performers in spaces outside of the office. In this first season, we'll be looking to an area that's all about being in the moment. Sport. Over the course of the next three episodes, we'll be unpacking why what happens on the pitch isn't so different to what goes on in the boardroom, and how borrowing a few tactics might put you a step ahead. This is Designing Momentum, a podcast from Capgemini. I think when you're playing rugby, you're literally constantly making split-second decisions. Are you in the right place at the right time? You've got to listen to the communication inside and outside you to then maybe move off a defender. For 80 minutes, you are constantly making decisions. Now, some you have more time. Um, and other times they are literally in seconds of, um, you know, from something going from being a really critical decision that you need to make that's going to really impact the game. This is Rachel Burford, international women's rugby player and World Cup winner for England. That's probably the difference is that you're constantly making split second decisions, but what bits are really critical to the game. So you think about time pressure, you think about where you are on the actual pitch, you think about the momentum of the game and how you're trying to shift that as well. Why do we keep getting these decisions wrong? Maybe it's a time thing. Maybe the role in play has been two minutes 13. Every time play goes over two minutes, we make a really terrible decision. So I, I guess there's so much scope to be able to look into the detail of it. Um, but yeah, there's so much decisions that go on on the pitch by everybody, whether you're, you know, whether you're a, a rookie or whether you're a senior player, everybody is making decisions and more often than not under pressure um, and they're split second. I think obviously training is massive and training under pressure. So the environment that you train under really helps you in game scenarios. You know, I'm fortunate, I've played a long time. Um, I've got a lot of experience under my belt, so that obviously helps, but you still get those real pressure moments. But what I've realized is actually, when I'm in high pressured situation, all it does is really draw my focus. So for example, when we're on our try line and we're defending, and let's say it's a scrum, you've probably got a very capable number eight picking it off the base of scrum. They've only got to run five meters to get over the try line. Um, and you've got to judge that timing to get off the line, close as much of that five meters of space down and tackle them. That's one of the, the high pressure situations because you have no recovery behind you. If you're 20 meters up the pitch, then you, you, know, you can afford to back off a little bit or you can you know, maybe make a soak up tackle, but where there's no room um, for error or space, you feel really under pressure. And I remember when we, we were playing in Ireland in uh, 2017, I think, and 
it was half time, nil nil, and I came on the pitch at half time. And so we were five all at half time, high pressured situation. You know, whoever wins is going to win the Grand Slam. Um, it's always really tough playing in Dublin, big crowds, lots of noise, lots of pressure. And we, I get subbed on, and within two minutes, we are on our try line. It's a scrum, and we know one route that they're going to try and come, which is down the centres. And I just remember literally all my focus going into my opposite number, the inside and outside of her, and thinking, this is where I have to focus. I can't worry about what's going on over there. I can't worry about what's going on the left or right of me. I've got to focus what's in front of me. And it all it, all pressure does is really hone in that, that um, focus. And I remember just coming off that line, thinking about what my job was and what my role was. And I had to, had to tackle that player by her ankles. Because if I didn't, the likelihood they were going to go an extra three metres, probably pick and go and score. And then suddenly we're on the back foot. So I think, I think you can turn pressure into a really positive thing. And that's what I find with pressure is that it really makes you focus on what's right in front of you. So I guess there's different ways of dealing with pressure. And I've obviously learned that over my experience and over my time um, but that's kind of an example of how I deal with that kind of time pressure um, and physical pressure of what's about to happen in front of me. Split-second decision-making doesn't just come down to a panic choice in the moment. Like Rachel Duck and Toots focus on the pressure, it's being able to calm down, assess your situation and act. Our guest today is Gemma Godfrey. Gemma has worked in big finance, started her own companies and currently fights for a better understanding of financial literacy through her work with the Times of London and the UK government. Well, I had a bit of a crazy ride in terms of my career. I started off in finance. I spent quite a few years there working for some of the world's largest institutions. And, and that was great until one day I woke up and I'd started going on TV and I realized that I really wasn't helping the masses, my neighbors, my friends. And I wanted to do something about it. So I set up my own company to help anybody with their financial needs. It was a website. We opened up access to everybody. And um, I did that for a few years. I actually built it and sold it within three years because there was an employee benefit business that wanted to buy it. So I then spent a year integrating the technology and then did the same thing for The Times, um, helped them launch a website called Times Money Mentor, again, to try and help people with their financial needs. And what I'm doing now is really trying to pass that on to other businesses. Um, I advise the government on uh, how to improve the financial well-being of the UK population. Along the ride, I advised uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger on who to fire on Celebrity Apprentice. I also had two kids and got divorced. Um, but where I am now is um, advising other businesses, high growth businesses, on how they can achieve their goals. Gemma started a fintech called Moolah, a service that challenged the incumbent institutions on how people manage their money. Finance, mainly being a male-dominated industry, added extra obstacles to Gemma's attempt to break into fintech. Moolah was one of the first entrants into fintech. Mula and Gemma had a bit of a trickier job than the others though. Being one of the first in the space, Gemma had to break down a few walls to get to have her voice heard. The goal was, um, you know, can I build something that actually customers wanted? And it's such a different way of thinking because in the corporate world, it's all about can we create new, smart, clever products to sell because it's all about making money. And of course, obviously, everybody wants to make money. I appreciate that. But... 
the fundamentals when you when you're running a startup is actually the starting point is what need is out there and what problem can you help solve so when it comes to financial inclusion you know it's about how can we help educate people give people the tools that they need to make smarter decisions themselves and I don't know that was really motivating because you could see you're making a difference in real people's lives and you're doing it at a speed um, that you know I wasn't used to uh, which was fantastic so how do you start a company from scratch with difficulty, it turns out, Gemma was put through a series of split-second decisions to keep her and her company afloat. Mula was a startup, not a large corporate with millions in their pocket. It was also a technology company that needed talent to build the innovative new approach to banking. The trick to keeping everything together? It was focused on making the right decisions at the right time. Because anybody that knows me really well will tell you that I love a spreadsheet and I love a pro-con list and I love rational decisions and my favorite decisions are ones based on numbers and there's a clear path. And that is very rare. Uh, usually you have to make decisions. You have to make them quickly. You have to make them based on not enough information. And what I would always do is just try and focus on... Um, whether it would help improve our chances, whether actually the upside, you know, outweighed the downside. But I just think, I think you have nowhere to hide really when you're running your own business and you do have to make decisions. So also that can help because you don't have the choice. You can't just stagnate. You can't just put it off. You have to make a decision. And actually quite often making a decision is better than not. Um, and in the longer term, you know, showing that you're making progress is also very, very important. And as long as I can make a decision that I knew would help improve the outcome for people um, and put us a step towards our goal, then that was, that was enough. Coming back to this focus is key and building it into your approach is critical. Building something like a company from nothing requires it. Sometimes though, you don't have all the answers. Your back is put up against the wall and where other people would panic, you need to find the right course out. There's a really great phrase uh, which says, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you might just end up there. And therefore, as long as I had in the back of my mind, you know, I knew kind of the direction we wanted to go into. And as long as the decision was going to get us one step closer, then I was very comfortable taking it. Funnily enough, I actually think it's quite freeing to not have control because in that scenario, you can't really go wrong. You know, it, it, there, there is no wrong answer. And while I find it frustrating for there not to be a right answer, there also isn't necessarily a wrong answer. And I think... One of the things obviously I did do is also lean on experts. Um, two things I think make it more stressful. One is to feel like you're all alone and you have you have to make all these decisions on your own. And secondly, that it is a very big decision. So the first thing I would do is I built a very strong team around me of experts. I also had a very good team of advisors or people I could call on in the moment. And, and that's very important because there are people that, you know, whatever decision you're making, there, there's probably somebody out there that has tried to make that decision before and being able to lean on them was very important. And then secondly, it's to try and break it down. Usually, and especially if you're CEO, there can be very big critical decisions. What I would sometimes ask myself is, what actual decisions do I need to make within that? So what questions do I need to answer in order to come up with the right decision? And what I'd usually find is actually I'm really grappling with five or six different questions. And once I'd split it up into those and could progress on those, it just made it a bit more manageable. <laughs> Otherwise, just go with your gut. <laughs> you know, just jump and hope it works out. <laughs> Building a great customer experience is one thing. But on the other side of the coin, she needed to bring her team together. Jumping from big finance to fintech, Gemma found there was a better way of making decisions and bringing her team together. I think the most important thing to make sure there's an alignment and everyone has a voice at the table in a company is to have a shared purpose. And again, I used to see this, I guess, in the corporate world. If, if you have certain people who are heroes and everyone else kind of in the background, that's where voices can be 
put to the you know put to the background. But the good thing about working in a company where all hands are on deck, every role is really important, and especially when you're starting out, everyone does also breadth of roles and they're valued for their expertise. And someone that's working on um, you know back end development is just as important as somebody working on front end development, as the sales, as the marketing, HR, operations, regular regulation, everything is absolutely critical to the business. So, for example, you know, when I was running my own business, you know, knowing that our goal was to really help people and to really make make help them make better financial decisions, um, everybody's input was then valued, and then everybody would want to listen to each other because also it meant that because again there was an alignment of interest because people owned a stake in the in the company as well, um, there was less competitiveness to be heard because people weren't competing to progress within a corporate it wasn't all about getting promoted it wasn't it was about can the company be successful and if we're all successful and the company is successful and our customers are happy then actually we'll all make more money anyway so it kind of leveled the playing field and also I think enabling people to be passionate I tend to I tended to get a lot more out of people because we were making a difference they were able to go off and actually um, you know work on something and if they wanted to design something a different way we would always listen and it meant that you know people were always much more willing to voice the things that they wanted to achieve and 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 kind of highlight that thing that I remember is um, one of the moments I've actually found it quite emotional was when we were having a team meeting, uh, like a, a big catch-up meeting. It was our quarterly, you know, big catch-up. And someone, it was uh, one of the um, designer developers, stood up in the front of the room and said that he'd been working behind the scenes um, on weekends in his spare time on a certain app feature because he was so frustrated that he wanted to create a much better service to people that weren't as digitally savvy. And I just saw him and what he designed and what he did on his own because he was just so passionate about it. And everyone around the room was just so unbelievably impressed. And again, why did this happen? And why were people listening to him? Because it helped, it created a great outcome for the underlying customer, which made um, everybody's lives easier and better and the company better and the service better. While Moolah had been a success, Gemma still faced the bigger change she wanted to make. The core idea behind Moolah was bringing financial literacy and opportunity to a broader, more diverse spectrum of people. Not all opportunities are made equal for all people. Being a woman founder in the banking industry made things even harder. She wasn't offered the same treatment as her male counterparts or treated in the same ways. It's something society struggles with on a daily basis. And we're trying to get closer to better ways of doing things, but we're not there yet. So much more needs to be done. Building diverse and inclusive teams is critical to maintaining momentum when you need new ideas to keep your organization moving. That's why next time on Designing Momentum, we're going to look at the lifeblood of any team. People. What are the best ways to create better opportunities? What does it feel like when people don't feel included? And how can you do a better job to leading your team to a more inclusive future? All this and more next week on Designing Momentum. This has been Designing Momentum, a podcast from Capgemini. A big thank you to all our guests in this episode, Gemma Godfrey and Rachel Burford. You can find out more about the work they do and how to contact them at capgemini.com momentum. Designing Momentum is produced by Joe Morris and Greg Newsma. The show is written and produced for Capgemini by Adrift Entertainment. And it's hosted by me, Frank Wammers. See you next time. <laughs>